we had a couple of clients that invested in a syndicate to buy a thoroughbred racing horse, which was pretty cool. Welcome to the podcast where entrepreneurs go to learn about alternative retirement investing strategies and structures and all things related to planning a successful, prosperous retirement. If you're self-employed, if you're a gig worker or solopreneur, you've come to the right place to learn how to retire wealthier, retire sooner, and retire happier. This is the Rogue Retirement Lounge. Today we're going to be talking about the solo 401k, specifically the checkbook solo 401k. And for those of you listening who didn't hear episode 10, I'd highly recommend that you go back and listen to my interview with Jordan Shepard on that uh, episode because he kind of covers the foundation of the self-directed IRA. So Jordan, can you give me a quick introduction to what exactly the checkbook solo 401k is and what it entails and how you would set one up and also why it might be a good choice for solopreneurs and people like me who are uh, sole proprietors. Yeah. So a solo 401k, and if if your listeners have listened to the earlier uh, uh, interview we did, the the last one that that you know, the last time I was here, we talked about how IRAs are just IRAs, and then right. depending on what kind of custodian you have, you know, you can self direct and buy real estate and all that. It's a little bit the same as a with a 401k. So a, a 401k is just a 401k. It's a it's an employer sponsored plan that's tied to a business that in section 401k, that's where the name comes from. It lays out how those are set up and how they have tax exemption and so forth. Now a solo 401k, that's, that's a term that came out in 2001 really because of a, a legislative change where they, let's see, how would I describe this? Prior to 2001, when you have a solo or when you have a 401k, it's obviously for a business, right? And for most businesses, they have employees, right? So if obviously you've ever worked for a company and then joined in their 401k plan, what's really happened is the company has sponsored a 401k. And then since you are their employee, that 401k covers you. So you are part, you participate in that 401k. And then based on what you're paid by the company, you can contribute. And then the company generally matches. So like we talked about with the IRAs, most people know more about 401ks than they realize because for most people at some point, they probably participated in an employer-sponsored plan like that. Yeah. The difference with a solo K is that is for business owners that have no either no outside W-2 employees or they have part-time employees that don't work enough during the year where they're required to cover them with the 401k plan. So really like like the the term solo 401k or like you'll see the term individual 401k, that's a little bit of a misnomer that the, the IRS t typically calls these kinds of plans one participant plans. And they're really designed for businesses that don't have any outside employees. Maybe it's just one guy who's a consultant or maybe it's a a husband and wife that both own a company doing, you know, like shirts or something like that and selling them uh, online and they don't have any employees or they have a couple part-time employees that don't work that much. The cool thing about these solo 401ks is that they grew out of, again, a response 
to the oversight that was kind of onerous and the and all of the expense that you had to take on in sponsoring a 401k because you had to cover employees and the thing was before 2001 even if you didn't have employees you were still under the same regulatory and compliance burden as like a fortune 500 company with their 401k oh wow okay yeah so before 2001 if you were a self-employed individual and if you were just a small business owner with no employees or just a couple part-time employees you would almost never set up a 401k uh, because it was just way too expensive to try to manage and administrate each year. So there was a huge uh, influx during those years of SEP IRAs because SEP IRAs were different. They were a little bit more manageable, uh, manageable for smaller business owners, and they became very, very popular. But in 2001, the small business community finally got through to Congress. And the point they made to Congress basically was, look, if you don't have employees that the law requires you to cover in a 401k, you know, if you're a small business owner and, and you fit in that category, why in the world would you make it so expensive for these small business owners to have a 401k? So is there some way we can sort of like carve out some sort of exemption or some special class of, of business owners that if you don't have employees, that you could still set up a 401k, but it wouldn't cost so much to administrate and it wouldn't be so onerous with all this oversight? So in 2001, they, they came out with a bill that did exactly that. And it didn't, the, the thing is, it didn't create a new kind of 401k. What it really did was create a, a certain status as an employer. That if you were, again, if you fit in that category where you didn't have any W-2 employees or you just had a couple part-time employees, and if those employees worked less than 1,000 hours a year, then as an employer, when you set up a 401k, the tax code would then exempt you from what is called Title I, uh, which is called ERISA, which is the Employee Retirement oh. Income Security Act. And that's the whole set of complicated provisions that are really, it's there for a good reason. They're designed to protect the interests of employees when they join in a 401k or qualified plan. But it's also the section that makes 401ks very, very complex. So with solo 401ks, you're exempted from that. And the record keeping and the administration and the compliance is, is much simpler for a solo 401k. And so that's really a solo 401k in a nutshell. And what we do, I mean, with the checkbook solo 401k is we set up our plans so that when a client, you know, sets up a solo 401k, they actually get to hold their own plan as their own trustee and custodian. Uh, they get to manage their own investments. And in addition to that, of course, they can still contribute in much, much larger amounts than they can to an IRA. So you can certainly set up a solo 401k with like a brokerage firm, you know, with Charles Schwab or E-Trade or something like that. But of course, again, you get back to where Charles Schwab or E-Trade, they're going to be the custodian of the 401k. And then they're really only going to let you just invest in the stock market. Right. So the ones that we do are, are really designed to open up the plan, replace the third party custodian with the actual client so that they're the one that directs the investments, handles the funds, you know, decides what they, what they want to do. Uh, and it really opens up their ability to the whole different assets, um, you know, outside the stock market. And of course, they can still invest in the stock market. You know, they can still have a brokerage account in the 401k's name and, you know, diversify money between those accounts. But it, it's funny, a lot of CPAs and tax attorneys, they, they've heard of solo Ks, but they don't quite understand what the changes in 2001 
were and, and what the implications of that are and, and how you can set up a plan like this and really open up all the doors really as wide as, as they can possibly go. So it's a really cool structure. I mean, it's a very rich environment to talk about a lot of different things, which I'm glad we're talking about because it's it's a fun topic, frankly. Well, yeah. And from a basic perspective, you say that, that with the Solar 401k, you can have much higher levels of contribution. Um, can you give me some more examples of the differences between the Solo K and the traditional IRA or self-directed IRA? Yeah. So uh, traditional IRAs, I mean, those, you know, the contribution limits, they're pretty low. I mean, if you're under yeah. 50 years old, you're going to max out at 6,000. If you're over 50, they give you a huge catch up of a thousand bucks and, some, <laughs> right. you know, 7,000 you can put in there. A 401k, a solo 401k has the same, uh, well, actually all 401ks have the same contribution limits as far as their statutory limit. Uh, so if you're under 50 years old uh, for this year, you'd max out at $58,000. Uh, if you're over 50, you get a much more generous catch up and you would max out at 64,500. Uh, now that typically goes up a thousand or maybe a couple of thousand each year. You know, they always kind of bump up the contribution limits each year. Uh, but it's obviously much, I mean, it's 10 times almost the amount that you can put into a traditional IRA. Right. Uh, so for saving funds, you know, a 401k is far more effective because you can put in again in one year what it would almost take you a decade to do for, you know, with a traditional IRA. Yeah. So not that I expect you to understand the machinations of the, uh, the IRS, but do you know why there is such a difference between the contribution limits between a traditional IRA at seven grand versus 58 to 64? Yeah. I mean, when IRAs first came out, I mean, you couldn't put hard, I can't remember what the original contribution limit was. I mean, it was like, I think it was like 700 bucks or something like that. It was very, very small. And I, I think mainly it's because whereas a traditional IRA is just literally an individual retirement sort of holding account, it's not tied to where you work or how much you make. So there they just kind of have an arbitrarily low limit of what you can put in there. Whereas qualified plans, which would be things like 401ks, 403bs, 457s, thrift savings plans, that sort of thing. Those are all plans that are, are really tied to the income that you make through your job. And so they've always been much, much more robust in, in, in you know, as far as the contribution limits there. And I think that's really the, the main reason why that if you do want to save at a faster clip, you you typically are going to do that through your job. But a traditional IRA is really just almost just a holding retirement account. And so I, I think that's the reason why those limits are so low. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Well, for those of you who are out there who are solopreneurs and have felt like your only choice is living within the confines of the traditional IRA, hopefully you'll take away the fact that you have options out there where you can contribute significantly more. Next, I, I want to talk about the the concept of the checkbook. And uh, again, full disclosure, I uh, hired you to set up my checkbook solo 401k. And it was after I had already done, uh, I had set up a self-directed IRA with some, some company in Texas and I was just starting to bleed everything out of the stock market. I got involved with uh, some people here in Oregon who were doing a big uh, cannabis grow. And so I wanted to 
uh, use my self-directed IRA to help these dudes grow dope and um, legally here in Oregon. And when I went to have that custodian issue the check for my investment, they refused to and said that for whatever reason, whether it was because of federal law or whether it was because of some kind of moral issue in Texas, who knows, but they were, they refused to write this check. So I immediately realized that this was not a good forum for me. This was not a good custodian for me where they have to uh, uh, kind of basically approve everything. Um, so I immediately eliminated that account and I started looking into these solo 401k things and these checkbook structures so that I could have even more control. So tell me about mm -hmm. the checkbook IRA or the checkbook solo 401k and and how that works for people. Yeah, so I'll I'll talk about both because it's good to kind of contrast the two because it kind of helps, you know, you know, steal against steal, it kind of helps you see how the two are different. One of the biggest differences, I mean, you know, leaving aside the larger contribution limits, one of the biggest differences between IRAs and 401ks, like what we're talking about here, mm -hmm. is that with an IRA, you're, you're not, there's really no practical way that you can hold your own IRA and serve as your own custodian. You know, if you go to section 408A, the very first thing they do is define an IRA as a trust. And then the net very next thing they do is define what a trustee is who's capable of holding that IRA. And it's got to, for IRAs, there's a very, very restrictive definition of trustee. And basically, you have to be either a bank or a trust company that's uh, overseen by the State Banking Commission. Oh, okay. So unless you want to spend about $3 million, you know, to start your <laughs> own trust company just to hold your own IRA, that's just not really practical. So with, with IRAs, just the way it works, you you always have to have a third party hold the account for you. Okay. And that means that with IRAs, that you're you're always kind of at the mercy of the custodian in terms of what they'll allow. So like we talked about um, in the, the last time we got together, you know, if you have an IRA at a brokerage firm, they're going to limit your account to just investing in publicly traded stuff. Right. And then even if you go out to a self-directed custodian who is a custodian that can hold the IRA, but they can also process non-traditional investments like real estate and precious metals and all that. But you still have, you're still sort of bound by how they want to do the transaction and different sort of little ins and outs of things they'll let you do and not let you do. Now, stepping away from that over to the 401k, the big difference is because now we're talking about a qualified plan, which obviously is a retirement plan, but it is, it's a different animal than an IRA. In this case, with 401ks, you actually are allowed to hold your own 401k plan and serve as your own trustee. Okay. Now, that didn't used to be the case way back up until I think it was 84. They did have some similar restrictions on 401k and qualified plans about who could hold the account. And I think it was in 1984, they ended up axing that entire provision in the code and in the Congress's green book. The, the reason they gave was because they felt that it was an undue burden on business owners to force them to have a third party hold their their company retirement plan. Okay, that makes so sense. So since 1984, yeah, you can serve as your own trustee and um, and handle all the investments and so forth of your own 401k plan. But one thing I'll say real quick, I, I'm 
I'm sure a lot of people, and especially with your crowd being self-employed and pretty savvy and entrepreneurial, I can imagine some people probably saying, well, hold on a second. Like, why haven't I heard of this before? I mean, why isn't this like a thing that I see just like everywhere? Like, why doesn't everybody handle their own stuff? Right. And the reason for that is very practical. And that is, um, I mean, let's say that you and I owned a business up in Portland. And let's say that we had, let's say, 20 or 30 employees. And let's say that we set up a 401k plan. And that 401k plan then covers our, let's say, 30 employees. There is no way that we would be the trustee of our own plan. No way, no way, no way, no way. And the reason why is because if we did any sort of misstep in that plan, we have a huge amount of liability to our employees. Okay. You know, imagine like making bad investments and the economy crashes and, and you lose half of all of your employees' money in the 401k that you're responsible for managing. That's just not something that you would want to do as a, as a business owner. So for most 401ks that are run where they cover outside employees and kind of the more traditional 401k route, there's a good reason why business owners don't control their own plan because to them it's, it's worth it to go ahead and offload that liability to a fidelity or to some private management firm that really specializes in that. Okay, that makes sense. But with sense. a solo K, when those employees sort of fade out and they don't exist and you have just like one guy who's a computer you know, scientist and he's a consultant or, or some gal who's a, maybe an anesthesiologist and she, you know, she's just a, like a sole proprietor or has her own business. In that case, when you set up a solo K, you don't actually cover any outside employees. And so as a result, you don't, that liability that you would normally have in more of a practical setting just again, dissolves and fades away. And so that's the reason why solo case, it's so popular when people set them up to go ahead and serve as their own trustee, because they don't really take on any extra liability for that, like outside liability. Uh, and then of course, being trustee, they control the plan and they can direct the investments. I mean, so long as the plan is set up to do it, you know. Interesting. Okay. So if you have no employees that work over 1,000 hours a year, uh, That's right. you can, you're eligible. If you're a solopreneur, no employees over, uh, what if, is there, uh, I, I think I remember there being some kind of a break or an exception if you, if your spouse works for your company, is that correct? Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about that because there's some interesting exceptions here. So the most important thing is that the business have no outside W-2 employees okay. that work a thousand or more hours a year. Because the, the, the thing is, once they work a thousand hours a year or more, federal law kicks in and says, no, 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 you must let this employee into your 401k now, right? They, they have a legal right to participate in your 401k plan because okay. they just, again, they've set that arbitrary threshold at, at a thousand hours. But what's interesting is that there is an exception for spouses, right? So if your spouse works either for you or maybe they own part of the company, they can also participate in the plan. Okay. Interestingly, it doesn't have to be a spouse either, like two, let's say two brothers that own a business together. And again, they have no outside employees or just part-time employees that don't, don't rise up to a thousand hours per year. They can also set up a, four, a solo 401k because the, the solo 401k, again, really is about the absence of outside full-time employees. Gotcha. So, I mean, you could eat, like we set up a family in, uh, in Utah that I think had eight, I think it was either eight or nine members of the family 
that owned one business and they had no other employees because the whole family worked there and they all owned part of the business. So we set up a solo, a solo 401k for them that had either nine or, or uh, either eight or nine people in it. So, oh, wow. so it's interesting that there, it's kind of flexible in that way, but you, the, the employee thing is really the important thing because you just don't want to let employees in. And it's not like you're trying to screw your employees. It's just that if they are let into the plan, it ceases to be a solo 401k. And that 401k then slides over under ERISA and is now subject to all the same stuff that Microsoft or Amazon or Nike's 401k is subject to. And then, of course, that's when you get into the really complex stuff that, that, that gets you know a little bit hinky if you're not careful. Gotcha. Okay. Now there are other, I understand if I recall, and I don't, I don't know the specifics, but I understand there are a couple of other advantages specifically of the solo 401k or, or the 401k versus the IRA. Uh, for instance, being able to uh, be exempt from like UBIT taxes, if you're doing real leverage real estate investments, is that worth going right. into here? Yeah, I, I would say just as kind of a quick aside. So uh, if you have a, like a self, any sort of self-directed account, uh, so let's just start there at a broad level. Any self-directed or frankly, any retirement account can actually borrow money. Uh, now, for most people, it would make sense to say uh, that you, let's say if you trade it on margin inside of a stock, uh, a, like a stock account, mm -hmm. when you trade on margin, you're actually borrowing money or stock from the broker. Right. So right. now if you took that same scenario and moved it out to a self-directed scenario, things you could finance would be things like real estate. You could actually go to a bank and say, I've got money in this IRA. I want to put some money down for my IRA. And then you, Mr. Banker, loan money to my IRA and then take a mortgage on that property. So just kind of a normal, traditional financing type arrangement. So that's usually kind of a shock for a lot of people, especially if they get into real estate to find out they can finance property. But the thing is, with IRAs, there's a certain tax that comes into play. And you're right, it's called the unrelated business income tax, but it's actually a subset of that. And it's a mouthful. It's called the unrelated debt finance income tax or UDFI for short. Okay. And so for IRAs, when you finance real estate like that, um, you end up paying some, the, the IRA pays some tax on part of the profits that are made from that finance property, whether it's the rents or whether you maybe sell the property when it still has uh, financing on it. There is going to be, bottom line, some tax that's going to be owed there from the IRA just because of the fact that you're using someone else's money. What's interesting with 401ks um, is that they have a blanket exemption from UDFI for any financed real estate transactions. So you could have two guys, one with a solo K, one with an IRA. Both of them buy a property of the same value. Both of them run through the same type of financing. The guy with the IRA is going to have to pay tax. The guy with the 401k will not. So, you know, not everybody is into financing, but I will say that those who who like to finance property and, and that's part of the kind of the way they do things, the solo 401k is by far the better way to go for that, just because you're just not bleeding that money out in taxes each year from the from the profits from the account. Interesting. Okay. That's cool. Yeah, I remember thinking when I was first doing my research for this, that part of the reason that you want an IRA or any kind of retirement plan is to have tax-free growth of your investments. Right. And so just on its face, the fact that if I was doing 
leveraged investing on the IRA side, if I was going to get taxed on that portion that was leveraged, that seemed to me like not cool, which again, led me to the, to the solo 401k. Yeah. And, and one thing I'll mention real quick, the, with the IRA, the, the way the tax works is they actually only tax the IRA on the portion of the profits that were made with the financed money. Right. So, so ultimately, you're never actually paying tax on the profits your IRA makes. But the bottom line is you're still having to ink a check to the IRS each year from your IRA. You know, so I mean, you know, if you can get into a solo K and if you can qualify for one, why not just not pay tax? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a better way to do it. So, right. Um, any other advantages? I mean, bes- I mean, that's that to me seems like a huge one. Any other things that one should know that would, if if you were really trying to push someone to a solo four hundred one k, is there any other any other items of note? Yeah, I mean, just to kind of run down like a bullet list. I mean, uh, the the biggest thing is uh, the higher contribution limits, and then oh, also yeah. being able to hold your own account, be your own trustee, not have a third party that's kind of you know charging you fees and telling you how to how things have to be. The ability to pull a spouse into the plan, which means they can roll their funds in, uh, and that's kind of cool. Or, or whether maybe you have a business partner, there's maybe a couple other business partners where you can all join in the same plan. Uh, that also gives you the advantage of being able to, within the plan, combine your funds to have a larger you know, amount of purchasing power. Oh. So you could take like a husband and wife, they each roll money in, they each contribute to the solo K. And maybe they run across a piece of property that neither of them separately have enough to do. They can actually, within the 401k, combine some of those monies and go make that investment and hold that piece of property. So long as they track the profits back from that according to the original you know, equity split of, of what they put into the property. So that's a huge advantage because you can't really practically do that with IRAs without slipping over into kind of a gray area. So the structure of a 401k lets you do that, where IRAs, it's much, much more difficult to do that and, and stay compliant. The other, the other kind of big thing I've seen with clients is the ability to borrow money from your own 401k. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you're not allowed to do that with an IRA. I mean, really, the only way you can access money in an IRA is just pull it out, distribute it, pay your tax, or if you have a Roth, don't pay your tax, but actually pull it out and then go do your thing with it. With a 401k, they do give you uh, the option to borrow money out of your own 401k, and they put some limits on that. Uh, so you you have a maximum term of five years uh, unless you're financing or unless you're buying your primary residence with that money, in which case you can stretch that term out to 15 years, which is pretty mm-hmm. cool. So you can actually finance your own house through your 401k. Uh, and then they do put a limit on how much you can do. So you can borrow up to half of your account value, but they, they cap you at 50000 So you can't borrow more than fifty. Gotcha. But what's interesting is like, again, if you had a husband and wife or two partners in the same 401k, that $50,000 limit is to each of them separately. So husband and wife could theoretically be able to borrow out a total of 100. And then you have the advantage, that's the one way with retirement accounts where you can use what's in the retirement account right now without paying tax on it. And then of course the advantage is you're paying, you know, you're paying interest back to your own 401k. So we see some clients, especially ones that are younger, they'll, uh, if they've done well and saved, you know, pretty, pretty well inside of their retirement plan, uh, we've seen some clients kind of rework their debts where maybe they'll pull out some money from a, from their 401k, borrow it out 
and use it to pay off some student loans uh, or help them expand oh. their business, you know, that sort of thing. So that that's kind of a cool difference. And then the other one I would say, one of the big ones is the Roth 401k. With IRAs, and again, it's easier to contrast the two because it makes a little more sense this way. Mm -hmm. With IRAs, you have either a before-tax IRA, like a tax-deferred IRA, like a traditional IRA or a SEP or a simple IRA, or you have a Roth IRA, which is after-tax or tax-free, completely tax-free. But there is no IRA where you can really take a Roth and a, and a tax deferred and like put them together in some way. It's one or the other. But the cool thing with the 401k is, well, since 2001 and then they made it permanent in 2006, 401ks now have what's called an after-tax sub-account, which is a nerdy law speak for Roth 401k. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, but what it is, is, you know, imagine the 401k plan and inside of this 401k plan, is a sub account that can hold a specific kind of money, which in this case is after tax money or Roth 401k money. So the cool thing is, is that it's almost like, like I tell clients, imagine the 401k is a circle and then draw a line and bisect it with a left side and a right side. You can hold both kinds of money within the same 401k and under the same roof. So you can hold like normal, just 401k tax deferred money, let's say on the left side, but within the same plan, you can also hold this after-tax Roth money, you know, uh, over on, on the right side. And you can also, just like I was talking about with a husband and wife, you can actually mix those monies and, and still go off and do deals. So it's not like you're splitting your money where now, you know, each block of money has got to go do its own thing. And you've now cut your, you know, your purchasing power in half. You know, you can bring those monies back together and still co-invest and mix them and so forth. Again, so long as you track that stuff uh, internally. So for clients that that want to get active with a Roth account, the solo 401k just ends up being so much better because, again, you can save at such a faster clip, which means you can feed that Roth 401k at a much faster clip than you can with a Roth IRA. Because, again, Roth IRAs, you can only put six or 7000 a year into them. So they're very hard to build up and save over time. And one thing I'll say too, just real quick, you can also do internal conversions to a Roth 401k. And by that, I mean, let's say you set up a solo K and you reach back to some previous 401k you had with, a, with some prior employer. And let's say you roll in, I don't know, $100,000 of just normal 401k money, just tax deferred, just normal 401k money. Once that drops into the, the solo 401k, you have really the unfettered ability uh, to internally convert all of that, part of that, some of it internally over to the Roth 401k. So, you know, point is you don't have to just put new money in the Roth 401k over time. You can take existing retirement money that you've already saved. And if you want to, you can convert that over to the Roth 401k just within the same plan. Now that's a taxable event. I mean, so right. you have to make sure that you, you know, that you can, you know, that that makes sense tax-wise for you to do. And there's some cool stuff you can do there to save on taxes and it just kind of the way you structure it. But that's also a big thing too. Uh, and not everybody's into the Roth 401k. You know, for some people, it's just not that big a deal. But for others that, that want to work it, it's an excellent way uh, to build up an after-tax account much, much uh, faster. If you've got a solo 401k, and correct me if I'm wrong here, 
you can convert gigantic sums. Like you say, it's a taxable event, but you can convert large chunks of money in one year and not have to string it out over, over 10 years. Um, is there a limit to how much annually, if you, if you have a solo 401k and you've got that, that Roth within the package, is there a limit on how much you can roll over in any given year? No, so there's no limit on how much you can convert over. I mean, there used to be limits on uh, that. There was a, a phase out threshold, and George W. Bush uh, did away with this. But it used to be that if you made a certain amount of income, that you weren't you you weren't qualified to do any sort of Roth IRA or Roth 401k conversion. Um, they they've axed that, and thankfully, so now regardless of how much you make, regardless of how much you have. Uh, you can convert any amount that, that you want to a Roth IRA or to a Roth 401k. So, I mean, you still like with a Roth IRA, you still could take, you know, two or three or 500,000 or something like that and convert it to a Roth IRA. Okay. The advantage with the solo 401k is that you, you don't have to then split that money off into like some other IRA that's held by a custodian. You can within the same solo 401k, just bump it over to the other side. And it's certainly, I mean, there is some value to ladder conversions, you know, stretching it out over time just so you don't have a huge chunk of income drop in your lap from that conversion like in one year. Sure. So it, depending on a client situation, I mean, there are a lot of ways to do that. Obviously, it just, it's got to make sense tax-wise to do it. But the nice thing with the Roth is the trade-off is you, you got to bite the bullet and pay the tax right now. But the trade-off is whatever you get over to that Roth account and whatever that account grows to is tax-free forever to you and to your heirs. Uh, so that's that's a cool thing if a person's you know looking in that direction. Yeah, and and I think we all people who are putting their money away into a into a qualified account. I think we all like to think that okay, when I'm retired, I'm going to be paying less taxes. So when mm -hmm. I when I take my money out of my IRA or whatever, you know, I'm not going to be making as much, so I'm not going to be paying as much taxes. So I don't really need a Roth. Um, I'll, I'll just live with it and um, right. take the deduction this year. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm going to save myself 10 grand this year or whatever. But I think it's worthwhile for all of us to do a little bit of inventory as a, when we're retired, we may not have the amount of write-offs that we have today. So, which is mm -hmm. automatically going to boost our tax rate. Um, and then the other thing to consider is that we've got some real scary things with the, not to get political, but in, in the Biden administration, there's some scary things being bandied about like taxing uh, capital gains as ordinary income and stuff like this. I don't right. know what's going to end up happening, but it's very possible that if you're 10 years away from retirement, your taxes, A, could be higher. Taxes on distributions from qualified accounts could be higher. Um, th there's just, there's no certainty there. So if you can avoid them altogether by putting some or all of the money that you've got now into a Roth so that you can just skate into retirement knowing that you won't pay anything, it could end up being very, very beneficial in the end. And, and uh, right. full disclosure, I've uh, worked with your dad last year on beginning to convert my stuff over into a Roth. And in 2020, I converted 25% of my solo 401k into a Roth. And it was a really a beautiful feeling. I didn't like paying the taxes this year right, on sure. that 25%, but knowing that that money is going to grow tax-free for the next seven years and one month until I retire, 
and then I get to pull it out tax-free is just, I mean, there's no better feeling, I have to say. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, it's different for everyone. I mean, for some people, they're in a real tough position because if they're knocking down a lot of money, let's say through their business and maybe some other like personal business income or like investment income, you know, it can be tough because they end up, you know, they end up paying a lot of tax when they do conversions. So, right. so for some people, it, it's useful to, uh, to wait for, you know, some time when maybe their income might dip a little bit, maybe they're, you know, changing jobs or doing something else. Uh, so there are definitely, there's certainly a strategy to it, you know, in certain windows sure. that sometimes people can slip through and it, it it's beneficial. But you're right. I mean, whatever you end up getting over to a Roth, uh, it's definitely a good feeling to to know that that you just don't have the, you know, the turbulent political stuff. And you know how it is. I mean, taxes change over time. I mean, no matter who's in charge, right. it's always going up or down. And a lot of times it's hard to plan for that. So yeah, I mean, it's definitely a good feeling to know that you've got some Roth money tucked away that that just isn't going to be subject to that, you know, yeah. makes it simpler. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful thing. Well, okay, so now you've got your solo 401k, you've got it funded, you've got money, you've rolled over money from your other IRAs or whatever, you've got checkbook control, you can invest in real estate, you can invest in uh, precious metals, you can invest in notes, you can invest in... Um, even now cryptocurrency, um, any other uh, things that your clients have done with their money using a checkbook solo 401k to invest in cool stuff? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's some like exotic things like we talked about owning cattle. Uh, we right. have some clients that uh, we had a couple of clients that invested in a syndicate to buy a thoroughbred racing horse. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Uh, which was pretty cool. Yeah. That's super cool. Yeah. Um, we have some clients that own like storage units with, with their retirement accounts. Um, I mean, crypto has been a huge thing. You know, that's been really, really popular since about last summer when everything's, you know, swung up. And of course, it's come down and gone up and down. But right. uh, that's been a real popular thing here lately. Um, we have quite a few clients that invest offshore, you know, whether they're holding property in uh, Costa Rica or whether they're, uh, you know, they own maybe a commercial building in England or something like that. So there are a lot of things you can do there. I would say the majority of our clients are doing something in real estate, whether they own real estate or whether they're, let's say, lending on real estate. You know, within the real estate field, there's a lot you can do, everything from commercial to residential to single family homes, uh, you know, rentals. You can, you know, we have a lot of clients. It's It's been pretty popular for a lot of clients to lend money from their accounts Okay. Uh, within the real estate context. So like partnering up with, a, let's say, a house flipper or a, someone who rehabs houses, where we'll see a lot of times like the rehabber will buy the property and then they'll turn to someone with a solo K and have them loan money to them and take a first mortgage on the property. And then they'll use that money that was loaned to them by the plan to rehab the property. And then when they sell it, you know, they pay the loan off. And, and so that's been pretty popular. I, I would say as far as investments, because I don't know that I mentioned it before, the, the way the code works is it, it doesn't, there, there's not like a section of the code where you can go and there's a long list of, you know, 500 different random investments that you can do. It actually right. works the opposite way. Yeah, in the sense that it's restrictive. So there are a couple of things that are not permitted to be held by a 401k. Most forms of life insurance are not allowed to be held inside of a 401k. 
although there are some exceptions, you can actually buy life insurance on yourself and then pay the premiums from the plan. So there's some interesting options there. Hmm. Um, and then typically you can't hold collectibles, although it depends a little on how the plan is set up for that. But that's really it. Right. So anything that isn't in one of those investment classes, I mean, there are, there's actually some weird restrictions on owning whiskey Okay. <laughs> uh, inside of a 401k. There's some treasury regs that kind of cross over. So, um, so you have to be a little careful of that, which. Okay. So I can't own whiskey in my 401k. Yeah. Yeah. And that came up. We had a, we had a guy in Kentucky that was, <laughs> uh, that was selling bourbon and he was wondering if, you know, certain clients of his could loan money from their retirement account. It just, it wasn't going to work out. So that's kind of a weird restriction that, that I've only ever run into that one time. But so you can get it as, as exotic as you want. And I, I think now, if you don't mind, I'll just chat real briefly on really the, probably the most important limitation on 401ks. And that is the idea of self-dealing. Okay, go. Yeah. So the, the limits as far as, you know, like the line drawn in the sand that you don't ever want to step over has to do with a fairly short list of people that are that are called either disqualified persons or prohibited parties. It's the same thing. But these are people that uh, are not allowed in any way, shape or form to, quote unquote, deal with the 401k. And I'll expand on what that means here in, in a minute. But it's a fairly short list and it really centers around the, the 401k account owner. And by the way, everything I'm saying here applies verbatim to IRAs. Oh, okay. So it's the same part of the code that applies, yeah, both to 401ks and to IRAs. So the, the idea here is that if you were allowed to deal with your own tax-exempt retirement plan, there are all sorts of things you could do to, I mean, you could shift assets and hide income and, you know, move stuff that's taxable into a non-taxable environment. I mean, there's all sorts of games that you could play there. And so as a result, they, they essentially cut you off at the knees and they say, you are not allowed to deal with your own 401k and neither is your immediate family. Now, what I mean by deal is this. I talked with a client a couple of weeks ago who asked if he could purchase a, his daughter was going to college and he said, well, hey, can, can I buy a rental, like a house there in the college town right. and just move my daughter in there, you know, and have her pay rent and just like normal and all that. The answer is no. And not because the plan can't own real estate, it's because the plan is specifically prohibited from having any engagement or any dealings with his daughter because she is his daughter. Okay. And this would be stuff like, like there was a court case where a guy had a solo 401k and he, uh, he bought a lake house and then moved into it and literally lived there. And then he bought a boat with his 401k and he used the Ooh. boat and like, you know, went out on the lake and had fun with it and all that. That is exactly the sort of thing that you cannot do. Okay. Um, and, and the reason really is that, you know, when you open up any sort of retirement account, the, the, you know, how I would explain it is the, the deal you're cutting with the government is, you know, the government says, look, we will let you set up this retirement plan and we'll let you put a certain amount of money into it each year and save and make different investments and this and that. And we're not going to tax this account either until the end when you take out distributions or if it's a Roth, we're never going to tax it again. But the trade-off there is that it's not appropriate for you to have use of what's in the account right now because that money is being built up for your retirement. And that's sort of the trade-off. We won't tax it. We'll leave it alone. 
But right. the trade-off is you can't touch that money. You can direct it, invest it, grow the accounts and all that, but you can't have you know, personal use of the assets within the plan. So that's the general idea of, of the, of the, uh, the self-dealing restrictions. Um, and the, the people that are on that list that are not allowed to deal with the plan in any way, it's a fairly short list, like for you. It would be you because you're the account owner. Okay. It would be if you're married, your spouse. And then for you, it would be straight up and down your family tree, including spouses. So this would be your parents, your grandparents, and then down below your children and their spouses, grandchildren and their spouses. Those people are too closely related to you to have anything to do with the 401k. Gotcha. And so any transaction with any of those people is something that you would want to completely and totally avoid. Okay. So that would mean not only can I not buy a house in a college town for my daughter to rent, right. if I owned a house in that college town, I couldn't sell it to her either if I, I if my 401k owned it. Is that correct? Or to anyone else in that lineage? That's exactly right. Any any deal between, and it doesn't matter even if it's fair market. I mean, even if the daughter is paying exactly the same rent that everybody else, you know, you do comps and what, what the rents are in the whole area. That, that is not relevant. The only thing that's relevant is that she is on that list of the people that cannot deal with the plan. So it's, you know, it's important that clients understand who those parties are. And thankfully, it's a, it's a short list. Okay. Now, I will also say that it's, that also extends out to any entity that those parties own. Oh, okay. okay. Right. So if the daughter, let's say, had a business, like could the dad loan money from his 401k to the daughter's LLC or S Corp to kind of help her get started? That's a wonderful thing. But unfortunately, under the rules, the answer is no. Gotcha. Okay. Now, one thing I will say too, and this kind of ties back to the, the participant loans that you can make, right? We were talking about being able to borrow money out of your own plan. Yep. This is a nice little escape hatch that normally you wouldn't have with IRAs. So again, like the daughter starts up a business and she says, hey dad, you know, could you loan me maybe like 10 or 15 grand? I gotta buy this piece of equipment or do this or that. It's true that his 401k couldn't loan that money directly to her, but there is a way to sort of backdoor it and that is he could borrow, let's say 15,000 from his own 401k at let's say 4% interest and then turn around and loan that 15 to his daughter at 4% interest and just more or less break even. Okay, gotcha. So that would be an allowable way to do it. So that that's a nice thing with the, you know, the borrowing feature of the plan is that it does give you a little more flexibility that sometimes you can still kind of get a deal done that otherwise you you couldn't. Okay, that makes sense. But that's capped at 50 grand or 50%, is that correct the loan amount? Yeah, you can borrow up to half your account value, but they do cap you at, at 50000 Gotcha. Interesting. Okay, now one, yeah. one more question about these prohibited humans. Let's say I buy a, an Airbnb in Costa Rica that I'm mm -hmm. gonna, that's going to be a vacation rental. I'm guessing I can't have my daughter be the manager of that Airbnb and be the, be the, the host and manage that property. Correct. Okay. Correct. Because in some way, you know, under normal circumstances, the host would have to be paid by the owner of the Airbnb. And in this case, that is what would create that deal when the 401k gotcha. pays her. And, and the other thing I'd say, I mean, a, a savvy person might say, well, what if I didn't pay her? Like, what's the, there's no deal there. So what's the issue? Right. That still doesn't work 
because the way they typically treat that is that she has more or less gifted her services to the 401k. Okay. Uh, which still creates a, it, while it's not necessarily a deal, it is a, an indirect benefit. So prohibited parties are not allowed to deal with the 401k or the IRA. And they're also not allowed to benefit from something the retirement account might do. And that really keeps people from getting too smart for their own britches and saying, well, I'll do something like that and, you know, sort of backdoor some benefit to the daughter or son or wife or something like that. So they have that section pretty well covered where there's not really much wiggle room. And so I, I always advise clients, you know, that if there's any sort of question that you might be slipping over into a gray area, it's just not worth the, the risk and, and the trouble of, uh, yeah. So it's better just to, you know, stay nine miles away from that. Okay. Very interesting. Um, okay. So now then the, the natural question then is enforcement. Uh, we mm -hmm. hear that, uh, I, I can't remember what the headline was, but as part of this new tax policy, they're going to be hiring like 20,000 new IRS agents to audit the hell out of us. Is mm -hmm. that how you say this guy who got caught buying, buying a boat in a lake house, is that how he got caught is that his solo 401k plan got audited by the IRS? Well, so yeah, that, that's a good question. In his case, uh, he declared bankruptcy. And oh. <laughs> the, the ultimate, since 401ks aren't really subject to the claims of your creditors, it, it, even in bankruptcy, I mean, it depends a little on where you live because some states have different, different ways that they work that. But in his case, he declared bankruptcy. And the question before the court was whether or not the 401k would be subject to bankruptcy, the, the assets within the 401k. And what the other side was trying to prove is that, look, he's, he's engaged in all of these prohibited transactions. And therefore, the 401k does not deserve to have bankruptcy protection. So clean out the 401k, dump the assets in the judgment pool and let us actually get a hold of this stuff. Okay. So in his case, it, it came about more because the court was trying to determine whether or not his 401k still actually was a 401k or whether he had mismanaged it to the point that it essentially lost all its protection. Gotcha. Now, the, the IRS does have, uh, back when Mitt Romney was running for president, uh, some of your viewers or listeners might have heard the term mega IRAs. When he had to do his disclosures when he was running for president, um, they found out that he had, I think it was something like $120 million in his in his IRAs. Oh, wow. I don't remember that. Yeah. And it was kind of a big thing. A lot of people were asking, like, how do you get that much money into a retirement account? You know, I mean, that doesn't that it seems fishy there. So the IRS, in response to that, they came out with a, uh, a kind of a targeted audit group uh, for accounts that are generally about 5 million or above. And so there is, I mean, there is certainly oversight on those larger accounts. Um, I mean, there's oversight on, on all accounts, like with solo 401ks, you do have some minimal filing you have to do. Right. Uh, and obviously like each year you're, as you make contributions to the 401k, you're also reporting those on your, on your tax return to get the deduction, you know, so I, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that'll work. I, I know their focus is on small business owners, which, I mean, especially with what's going on, it's like, that's the last group I think we should be targeting. Those no people kidding. are trying to keep their head above water, you know, uh -huh. but, uh, but that's, you know, that's why I, that's why we spend a lot of time on the website talking about trying to educate clients, trying to make it clear to them 
where those lines are in the sand so that even if they were audited, that there would be nothing to see there. I mean, everything has been done on the up and up. Everything has been done within the boundaries that have been set for the plan. Uh, and that's not that difficult. It's Again, it's more a matter of just, again, understanding where those lines are and then just getting it through your head that you don't even want to slip a toe over that line. It's right. just not worth it. You know, I mean, there are certain gray areas and, you know, they're, they're, uh, I guess that's more of a personal thing in, in, in terms of a person's risk, you know, tolerance. But for the most part, you know, my feeling is it's better to be conservative and just not have to worry about it. I'm but that's you. just me. So yeah, I'm, I'm right, right there with you on that. Yeah. Okay. Now I think anyone who's listened to this uh, can easily understand the benefits of a checkbook solo 401k. So how can somebody find out more about you and your services and how they can maybe get started on uh, putting one of these together? Yeah. So uh, probably as far as, um, as far as learning about the structure and maybe digging into different specific areas that interest you or that, that you think might be relevant for what you're wanting to do, our website, checkbookira.com, uh, is an excellent resource. We have articles and videos, and we have a newsletter and guides that you can download for you know different things. Uh, so that's a great place to start and just kind of get your feet wet and kind of get your feet set in terms of really understanding how it how it's all put together. People can also, if they want to email me directly, they certainly can. And I, you know, I handle almost all of the 401k setups for the for the company. Uh, so I'm a good person to talk to if, if people have questions. So uh, if they want to email me, my email's simple. It's just my first name, Jordan, just like the river, J-O-R-D-A-N at checkbookira.com. And I can send them some different links to kind of get them started. And then if they have questions, you know, you know I like to do scheduled phone calls with clients about a half hour to just kind of you know, just chat back and forth. And then usually the way it works is, you know, we'll talk with a client anywhere from one to, you know, five or six or seven times, you know, however long it takes to, to get them to where they feel comfortable, they can make a decision on what they want to do. And then as far as setup times, I mean, usually it's somewhere around maybe two to three weeks, a week and a half to three weeks generally for the solo K. It moves fairly quickly. And the other thing I'll say just that real quick, I forgot to mention this before, just so people know, you can roll any retirement account into a 401k except for a Roth IRA. Okay. So I just mentioned that as you're thinking about like, what could I roll in and do this and that with it? Roth IRAs are out. You got to leave them out as Roth IRAs, but any other retirement account, 401k, IRA, traditional, SEP, simple, that sort of thing, you can roll into the solo K. So, so yeah, I'd say the website's a great resource to learn more. Uh, and if you have specific questions, feel free to email me and I'll be happy to, to, to help you out. Awesome. Well, Jordan, thank you for this. I, I've got a solo 401k and I still learned a lot from today. So, uh, thank you for being here mm -hmm. and, um, enjoy the beautiful sun in Redmond, Oregon. And I will talk to you later. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Matt. I appreciate it. Nothing in this podcast is meant to be financial, legal, or tax advice. Though there's some kick-ass information here, it's for informational purposes only. Take control of your retirement planning, but get professional counsel if you need tax, legal, or financial advice. For more content like this, join my mailing list at rogueretirementlounge.com. And if you have questions about retirement investing, entrepreneurship, business, or anything else, my email address is matt at rogueretirementlounge.com. 